Hi, this is Terry Draper from Plateau. I'm Brendan O'Hare. I used to be in Teenage Fan Club. Hey, this is Tyler Green. Bowen Radford. It's Josh Bradley. Dino Troy from Playing Mantis. Lanny Flowers. I'm Frankie Siragusa, and you're tuning in to Unlikely Places Pop and Rock Radio Show with Final Man Jeb. Let's just have a chat then, You're listening to Mad Wasp Radio. Hello, everybody. This is your host, Vinyl Man Jeb of the Unlikely Places Pop and Rock Radio podcasts now. We're not just a radio show on Mad Wasp Radio. We also have a podcast this is Ted Ansani of Material Issue with me. How are you, Ted? I'm doing great. Glad to have you. I got a few questions for you just about Material Issue and some of your solo stuff as mentioned before. Let's just get right into it. Uh, what got you into music? Oh, yeah, it must have been my parents. Uh, you know, my uh, my mom used to play records for us when we were kids uh, to help us settle down and fall asleep at night. And so uh, I would definitely credit my mom for you know, bringing music into my life at a real early age. Uh, you know, one of the first records I remember her playing for me um, that got me interested in music was um, the Magical Mystery Tour record uh, by the Beatles. Um, for some reason, she just had that in the bedroom uh, that, you know, that she'd be putting us kids down in and just put it on the turntable, a little record player, you know, that probably kept it like under the bed or something. And at night she'd put that on and you know, a song like um, Blue Jay Way or something would just kind of help you drift off to sleep and uh, <laughs> not in a bad way, uh, you know. Yeah. But that was probably one of the first things that got me into music, um, appreciating music for what it can do for you, you know. And then obviously uh, in the car, she listened to music all the time. And, you know, so we were exposed to songs that were being played on the radio in the uh, early 70s. Uh, I was born in 67. Oh, okay. So you have like the Beatles, the Stones. There's a little bit before uh, like Led Zeppelin around there too, right? Uh, yeah. One of the first bands that I sought out when I was young was the Beach Boys. I remember ah. clear, clearly going to the uh, public library in my hometown where I was growing up and uh, taking out um, – I think it might have been a cassette or a vinyl record of uh, of the Beach Boys. And my favorite song was Wendy. Mm. Uh, for some reason, I was really drawn to that song, Wendy, by the Beach Boys. It's a fantastic song, too. And one of my favorite all-time albums is by the Beach Boys, which is Pet Sounds, uh, which uh, Wendy's uh, before that. But I really love uh, Pet Sounds, so I've been a Beach Boys fan because of that. But for me, it's going backwards. You know, not, <laughs> it wasn't during the time period. I'm, I'm too young to be during the great period of wonderful music. So it's just one of those things. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so we're going right in to start with material issue questions for you. Uh, who wrote in material issue? Was that a collaborative thing or did one guy write or? Uh, Jim Ellison, the mm-hmm. singer, guitar player, uh, was the main songwriter. He would definitely um, bring in new songs. You know, almost every time we got together, he had another new song written. Mm-hmm. And a funny thing about him is, you know, he'd say, uh, I got a brand new song. It's going to be a hit. You know, this one's this one's great. And we'd be like, well, what about the one we all learned yesterday? And he's like, well, that one's, that one's good too, but this one's going to be even better. And in, in many cases, he was right. You know, he, he had a, a knack for writing a very hook-laden, um, memorable melody and, um, you know, catchy, catchy songs um of different styles too, you know, uh, he was really good at uh, 
slow songs um, and up-tempo songs, but my favorite Ellison songs were the mid-tempo songs that he would write, uh, songs like The Next Big Thing and uh, Renee Remains the Same. Two great songs right there, too. I got into you guys with uh, What Girls Want was the first song I ever heard from you guys. And it's just um, what girls want. And it was just a, such a uh, that power pop sound. And I know you guys, I don't know if, did you guys ever feel that you guys were the band that was power pop? Because, I mean, now every list I look at, you guys are right at number one. It's it's pretty good. Got to be a, an interesting feeling. Uh, yeah, it's definitely thrilling to be considered as one of the top power pop bands of the genre, I guess. Um you know, it's a great legacy. Uh, but at the time we weren't really considering ourselves mm -hmm. power pop. Um, I guess at the time we were more referred to as alternative, uh, alternative radio, uh, college radio. Um, that's kind of where we were coming from. Uh, we did obviously have influences from power pop type bands like the raspberries mm -hmm. and cheap trick and the knack and, off-Broadway from the Chicago area. Um, but I don't think the term was being used quite so much while we were actively releasing our records at the time. Yeah, no, I've been recently reading up on like Power Pop and it seemed like it was a lot later and it seemed to always be like bands that, you know, and everybody argues about what is and what's not. I've been reading up on a Bigster's issue number six magazine about Power Pop, the whole articles about everything Power Pop. And it just was a fun read to see all the different opinions and say it definitely seems like it was a way later thing. And one of my next questions was, what was it like growing up as a band during the Chicago music scene? What was that like a paint, paint a picture for the audience for us? Like, what was that like? Well, uh, for our band, our experience was uh, actively working pretty much all the time. Uh, Jim Ellison and I were both uh, students at Columbia College in Chicago. Mm -hmm. So obviously we were taking classes pretty much on a daily basis throughout any given week. And then uh, in the evenings, we would either rehearse or a lot of times we do both. We would rehearse and then get out on the streets and we would literally drive around the neighborhoods in the cities, in the city of Chicago, posting up flyers for our upcoming gigs. And we always had flyers, small flyers, um, you know, stuffed in our pockets that we, we would constantly be handing to people as we greeted people on the street. Uh, and we would drive around the neighborhoods just, one of us would hold a bucket of glue with a paintbrush. The other one would come out with a stack of flyers and the other one was driving <laughs> the vehicle and we'd kind of take turns. And uh, there's three of us in the band. So, uh, you know, I'd hold the bucket, start slathering the glue on there. Jim would, you know, slap up three or four flyers on the uh, telephone pole you know, or the light post on the, on the corner of the street. Mike would be pulled over to the side with the car, you know, idling, you know, or in park waiting for us. <laughs> we'd jump back in the car, whiz around the corner, jump back out, do the same thing. And we'd spend a couple hours doing that. And then we'd go out and have some drinks, you know. Um, but we were doing things like that during the week. And then obviously on the weekends we were playing, you know, the Friday, Saturday night. Sometimes we were traveling a little bit uh, early on. We were going to, uh, you know, college towns, uh, hanging out with friends of ours that we grew up with who were at the time at different universities throughout the Midwest initially when we first started. And we'd drive down to uh, you know, Champaign, Illinois, uh, which is where uh, University of uh, Illinois is. 
uh, or uh, Illinois State University in Normal Bloomington or out to Iowa City or, you know, uh, out to Madison or uh, Southern Illinois down in Carbondale. Uh, so we'd always be working on something, booking gigs, recording, mm -hmm. uh, promoting ourselves, selling our, our records, uh, hitting record stores, um, going to the college radio stations and promoting the gigs and, and the recordings, uh, our releases. So we were always active with that. And because we were always active, we were in contact and crossing paths with many of the other bands that were coming up at the time. And then you guys would probably plan to do shows together, right? And open for each other or vice versa, just to kind of keep within the scene. Or was it like a different type of like organic kind of gathering for the music? There was a lot of playing with the same bands for a number of years. Um, and some bands came and went, you know, um, but also because Jim was early on, Jim was, uh, Jim Ellison was booking bands at a, bar in the city he, he oh, looked wow. at a couple of different bars but one of the bars that he was booking was called batteries not included and he was booking bands from other cities uh as they would come through chicago and so a lot of times we'd open up for those bands so they might not uh, or, or sometimes those as we got more popular obviously here in chicago a lot of times those bands would open for us a little later on Ooh. and so we were playing with different bands from different cities and that helped us too when we were able to get on the road and we'd go visit their city and then we'd open for them or they'd ah. open for us in their city and then they'd put us up at, at their place or something and we were able to you know book shows that way book little tours because jim was making connections with bands that were coming through chicago very cool so you had like the, the definitely jim had that networking ability to keep you guys moving as well which is amazing uh, you yeah, don't, you don't find that much nowadays as much as it used to be. And I, I miss that kind of scenes, at least where I am. I'm not sure I'm in Connecticut. So a lot of times there's a lot of once you're in the scene, you're in and everybody seems to help each other. But when you don't know where the scene is, I'm not sure if it was the same way back then, like, you know, much more music back then than there is now as much of like the live stuff, which I hope gets a comeback. I really do. Uh, but for me, it's at least I see what the bands that I work with and, and play with. It's usually like you have to get in with them and then you're put on a show with like eight bands and it's a lot of fun. But it's just not, you know, then you start building connections that way, which is great to hear that they used to do that in the past, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, networking, yeah. Networking, yeah. When I got, I got a question for uh, you as a bass man. What is the favorite bass that you own? Any particular bass you seem to go to all the time to play on or, or record with or just work around with? Yeah, good question. Um, my workhorses, uh, my battle axe that I refer to it as, is... Uh, <laughs> is the first bass that I actually purchased and I still use it uh, all the time. It's my black music man stingray. Ooh. It's probably from 1984. <laughs> and, uh, and so I was in high school and I needed a bass because I was starting to play uh, bass. I started out as a drummer, but then I transitioned over to bass oh, because wow. there was a need for bass players. Um, and so uh, I was renting it at first at a music store for a couple of months and then, um, then I was ready to purchase it. And I asked the guy, you know, how much would this cost if I were to buy it outright? And he said, well, let's see, you've rented it for so many months already. So that gets subtracted from the purchase price. Ooh. And I didn't realize that that was the way it worked. So I was pleasantly surprised that I was already getting, you know, yeah. maybe a couple <laughs> hundred bucks off, off the price right off the top, just because I had already been paying into it, you know? And so, uh, 
Yeah, I bought that. It's a black Music Man Stingray. And Beautiful. I have a blonde Music Man Saber, which Ooh. is similar to the Stingray, but it's got two pickups in it. With uh, They're both active electronic basses. Oh, wow. And that one's even older. And that one I use also. That's pretty much number two. And I also still have a Gibson Les Paul bass, which weighs a ton, but it's real powerful. I use that a lot on the third album, um, Freak City Soundtrack. And I okay. think I've got that in the in the artwork for Freak City Soundtrack. I, I had that bass a lot, and I used that throughout that tour. We had a sponsorship with uh, Gibson. Very cool. And, I, I have an SGJ myself, guitar-wise, so I, I love my Gibsons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely a, a strong bass, that's for sure. Yeah, I love uh, I love anything to do with Gibson. I also am a big Dan Electro fanatic. I do like the Dannys uh, for my six strings. I just like having that surf rock sound. But I definitely, I, as a as a aspiring bass player, I'm more of a studio bass player. But I always like to ask musicians, like you know, what's their favorite instrument? You know, you might somebody might yeah, go, that's I have a the good same, question. Same bass. I feel cool now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you guys got back together to play uh, the IPO festival at David Bash's festival. I saw as well. What was that like? Um. Yeah, one of the first times that we that Mike and I got back together after Jim passed mm-hmm. away. Um to kind of revive the material issue thing or the material reissue um, was David Bash's International Pop Overthrow Festival that he threw in Chicago. Um, geez, that was a while ago now. I, I can't remember if that was maybe 12 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, something like that. And that was like the first time that Mike and I got back together and, and put, a, uh, you know, put a show together. And we asked Phil Angotti to sing lead and... Hmm. Um, to play guitar and uh, he did a fine job and he still does to this day when we still do shows as material reissue um we have phil singing with us and then it, it was uh it was great it was you know uh it was glorious for us to be able to perform these songs um for fans that may not have ever had a chance to hear them perform live and for all the fans that had seen us, you know, uh, years, years before, um, you know, so it, it was great to be able to do that initially the first time. And we've done it, you know, for maybe two or three shows a year since then. We don't play very often. You know, we, we're kind of protective of what we do. We, you know, yeah. we don't just gig just for gigging's sake. We usually wait until it's a good, uh, a good matchup with the other bands that are on the bill or a good cause like the international pop overthrow festivals. Yeah. Or, um, I, I guess I'm, I'm getting off track, but no worries. Uh, no worries. I always, uh, yeah. we, uh, we here at the podcast are always very, we don't have a time limit. It's just whatever the artist wants to share. <laughs> very, right. uh, very flexible here. Um, I mean, it's gotta be cool that it's named international pop overthrow too. I mean, that's amazing, uh, to be named, that way as well (laughs) yeah i think i think david asked you know the band's permission uh before he changed the name to international pop overthrow because i think the first year or a couple of years that he had the festival going i believe it was called pop opia which i thought was a great name and for whatever reason yeah you should ask david about it i will he'll tell you this i'll have to have him on the podcast Uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah but yeah, I didn't know that. That's very awesome. Uh, very cool. And uh, we're going to get into the songs now. I picked a few, like I said, material issue songs to you before we started recording. And what I do is I do a radio show where I put the songs 
like in, and then I put the uh, artist talking about them right before it. And uh, this makes really a fun, entertaining radio show. So it's not all just one interview or all just music. It's like a mix of everything. I just I'm doing Tony Valentino of the Standells for Tuesday, so it's been very exciting to get that on the works because I'm a big Standells fan. So it's pretty cool uh, to be able to talk with him. And then I plan to do you know more artists in the future. Maybe even Joey Molland of Badfinger, hopefully, uh, be coming up soon too. So I, I picked a few songs. I started off with uh, one of my favorite Material Issues song, and I feel like it's a lot of people's favorite, but it's one of mine too. Uh, Valerie loves me. What was like the feel for recording that one and getting that one all together? Um, the first memory I have of that song was when we were first learning it and putting it together and working it out. And we got into kind of like a loop as uh, being that we were a three piece, we would kind of stand facing each other in rehearsal studio uh, early on. And when we got to the chorus of the song, which is basically strumming, a G chord, um, and then Jim would do like a lead whining guitar thing going, wow, 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 right before the chorus when he would yell, Valerie loves me. We kind of looped into that and just played that over and over <laughs> to get that rhythm down, 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 ba down, ba down, 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 ba down, ba down, 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 ba down, and just kind of kept it going and let it build and build and build in intensity, and then it would get bottled up and then released with the Valerie loves me. Yeah, um, that that was something that we worked on in rehearsal, and then the poppiness and upbeat stride of the verses, the that whole thing, um, you know, working that out, and then the juxtaposition to the way the chorus comes mm-hmm. in. Um, and it works beautifully. I, I love that. Valerie oh, loves me. And I just love that. Like, and you can feel that energy. Definitely. The way you put it that way is perfect. Cause it's, it's definitely one of those energy, like build up songs, which allows that whole using the dynamics to your most advantage, which I love. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> and then next up, I picked one of your songs, uh, from your Ted Ansani project. Uh, this is space robot. What was the inspirations behind that one? And what was like the writing process for that? Okay, the Space Robot uh, came about from a Pretender song, I believe. Um, Oh boy, I can't remember which one it was, but something about the drum. Oh, it's the drum beat from Mystery Achievement, which is a Pretender song. Oh, okay. And that rhythm goes dum dum da ba da ba dum dum da ba da ba dum dum da ba da ba dum. So I kind of copied that type of rhythm for Space Robot. And then uh, the theme of, you know, meeting this girl from space and there's kind of like a duel that goes on between the robot and the girl from space and uh, some, you know, kind of funny lyrics thrown in there. And uh, I I put in some overdubbed some sounds from an Atari game that I used to have in my basement. I overdubbed that towards the end of the song and I used a... uh, a wah-wah pedal with a uh, a couple of vintage guitar effects in there. So <laughs> and pieced it together that way, yeah. It's very vintage sounding. I like that knowing – I love hearing people that sample stuff from, like, different things because it's like you hear it from your atmosphere. Love to throw this into a song, and I'm very much the same. Love hearing that you used an Atari. That's amazing. Um, yeah. Moving back into Material Issue, I have one of the first ever songs I heard from you guys, as mentioned before, What Girls Want. What was that one about, and what was the process for that in the feel? Uh, what Girls Want was a song that Jim wrote for the 
geez, I can't remember if it was the second record, Destination Universe. It was Destination, so. yeah. Yep. Um, that was the the more aggressive song that we had from that album, and it was real catchy. Jim wrote some really great hooky, catchy songs, and it, it was all about like swagger and being cool, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, I think Jim's trying to explain what it is that he believes that girls are after in a guy and kind of talking about how, you know, how great it is to be cool and and look cool and and have the girl's attention at at all times when you walk into a room, you know? Yeah. And and that's definitely in the song. I definitely get that feeling of like wondering, you know, explaining kind of like that kind of a song. And I love, that's again, my first ever hearing of you guys. I can't remember if I got the CD at a like flea market. I don't know if it was at a record store. I still go to record stores myself and I was enjoying to get CDs for that, but I definitely uh, heard that album first. Then I was like, all right, I'm into these guys. I'm going to go back and look at all the records. Um, But uh, then we we moved in here for your, uh, another one from your solo project there. Uh, There was a girl. What was the songwriting and uh, lyric process behind that one? Uh, That one's about my wife, pretty much about the relationship that I have uh, with my wife. Um, We've got three kids and we've been together for a long time. Uh, You know, we started dating pretty much when material issue got started. And, uh, yeah, that's a personal song about my relationship at, at home and, and being married and uh, and raising my family. Fantastic song. Very emotional, like, very moving. So I really enjoyed that one as well when listening to your stuff through the... I remember I think we talked like a month ago to plan this and I was like, just take it day by day listening to some of the material issue stuff and your stuff as well. And I really enjoyed that that one. And then Thank you. I got two from uh, International pop overthrow i have uh this far before first so what was that one like uh that one kind of is like a british invasion style uh rhythm to that song and um poppy upbeat a little bit like the rhythm in valerie loves me if anything it might even be a little bit faster and quicker Hmm. and, and poppier very cool very i enjoy i enjoy all these songs too which is great it's just this is like a fan talking to which is amazing so i thank you again for coming on as well and uh wanted to end the show with uh this will be ending the radio show so hi everybody listening in uh we had diane to end our show with uh, what's that one about diane to me is probably our best and biggest song um Diane came out after Valerie Loves Me. It was the second single. But for me, I've always liked it because it's a big, it sounds like a big production song. It just mm. sounds radio perfect. You know, the vocals are spot on. The rhythm, the the hooks, um, you know, the lyrics are all there. Yeah, the chorus repeats the name Diane 42 times. <laughs> this, but hey, it, it works. It, that, to me, that was kind of like our precipice song. Like once we got that out and released and was getting airplay, I think people that heard that realized that we were a serious band that knew how to make great sounding records. And, and that, that song is, you know, is the proof. It's a fantastic song. And again, we know history was written as well as you guys being, one of the tops. I am humbly and honored to be able to have you on the show today. And I want to thank you for coming on Ted and uh, we'll get this out as soon as we can. And I appreciate it. 
Sounds great. Thank you very much. Uh, if you come to the East Coast, let me know. I'm in uh, Connecticut. I'd love to come see you guys. <laughs> All right. Sounds great. Perfect. Thank you very much. Enjoy your night. You too. Bye. You're tuned into Mad Radio. So don't forget where you are. Don't change that dial.